0: Well, good morning. My name is uh, Tyler Morse, and I am the director of middle school ministries here at LAFC. And I'm super excited to be able to preach the word this morning. I love doing this, opening this up with you all. So it is a joy for me. We're going to need as much time as we can get. So we're going to be right into Ephesians chapter 4. Um, so turn there with me in your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, ushers are coming along right now. Just put your hand up, and they would love to give you one. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. Also, you can follow along on the U Version app. If you click the bottom right, it says "More" and then "Events." LEFC should be there. You can follow along on there. You know, as you are turning there, um, I want to zoom back out at the Book of Ephesians as a whole, because what can happen is in each text of Scripture we miss that Paul is making a bigger argument. He's actually flowing in a story-like form throughout the entirety of the book of Ephesians, and we can miss that when we go section by section. So I wanna zoom out in a bit because our passage this morning is actually leading us into the second half of the book. So uh, Ephesians, I think, can be broken down, chapters one through three, and then chapters four through six. Chapters one to three is essentially the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the work that he's accomplished. It is our identity that is found in Christ. It's very theological. Paul's passion and his heart comes out. So I would sum up Ephesians 1 to 3 as basically what God has done through Jesus to make us one. <clears throat> what God has done through Jesus to make us one. So then chapters 4 and 6 is essentially Christian living. How are we to live as one? How are we to live in the body of believers with our families, in our marriages? How are we to live in this world? It's very practical. It's very uh, obedience. And it focuses on Christian living. And I would sum up chapters four to six by saying it's how one body is called to walk as one. Our passage this morning begins chapter four. It begins, it is the hinge point for looking at what Christian living looks like. So this morning we are gonna spend literally half of the time recapping Ephesians one to three because this is the foundation that Paul has built. As I've been uh, describing it, I use the language of in each, when we get each section of scripture, it's like little jabs basically. I wanna go for the idea of a knockout punch. I want you to feel what Paul has uh, holistically been trying to communicate through one to three. Then we're gonna spend our time in Ephesians four, see how this transitions. And then hopefully set up for where we are going to be going in Ephesians 4. So, with that in mind, uh, will you read with me? Verse 1 in Ephesians 4. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body, and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all church one of my prayers is that we would be able to feel ephesians both this text ephesians 4 but also ephesians 1 to 3 Meaning, I don't just want it to be informational and theological. I want us to feel this. I want it to stir the depths of our heart. So in order for this to actually truly happen, that we might encounter the Lord, be stirred again by his word and his gospel, in the same spirit that we had earlier, in the prayer of humility, I just want to take a brief moment and pray and ask the spirit to do that through his word. So will you pray with me? Spirit, I do ask, please. Come and minister to us. May we feel this text. May it stir our affections for you. <clears throat> and may it cause us to live a life worthy of this calling. Spirit, speak to us this morning. Stir us again. In your name I pray, amen. <clears throat> so, I, so I mentioned Ephesians 4-6 to is built on the massive foundation that is laid in, in uh, Ephesians 1 to three. So this morning, since our passage is a hinge point, I want to go and recap that for a little bit. Here's what I ask, as we are recapping Ephesians 1 to three: Will you just sit and receive the gospel? It's not going to be new information. We have been preaching this for the past few weeks. Many of you have grown up in church. It's familiar language. But would you be able to receive this, maybe afresh and anew this morning? My prayer from Ephesians has been that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened to know the hope to which he has called you. As we preached about last Sunday as well, Paul's beautiful prayer in chapter three, that we would be able to have power in our inner being to comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So would you receive it? Would you listen? Might the Lord and the Spirit stir in you again a new affection? So remember LAFC, remember that you Gentiles by birth at one time were separate from Christ. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. You LAFC were excluded from the citizenship in Israel. You were following after the ways of this world. You were living in disobedience. You were living in the deception of Satan. You were foreigners to all of God's promises and all of his covenants. You had no hope. You Gentiles, LAFC, had no hope and were without God in the world. You were also under the wrath of God. Yet, God had one plan, a beautiful, wonderful mystery that had not been made known to previous generations. Yet, this mystery had been planned before the very foundation of the world. Throughout the ages, this mystery was slowly being revealed through the prophets, through the sacrifices, the temple, the priests, but they were just shadows. They were pointing to a future fulfillment. They were pointing to a future Messiah, a deliverer of Israel. So when the times reached their fulfillment, God, in his good pleasure and will, sent his one and only son to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. Yet the way that this victorious and unifying plan was accomplished was not by strength, nor might, nor authority, nor power. No, it was through humility and meekness and suffering and death. The very Son of God, Jesus Christ, clothed in all glory and worthy of all praise, he humbled himself by becoming a servant. He came to dwell with us took on human flesh. Where sin and where Satan had tempted us to disobey, Christ remained perfect. Where disease and sickness had controlled, Christ brought healing and he came with life. Where there was shame and condemnation, Christ brought peace and he brought forgiveness. Yet it was this man, Jesus Christ, the innocent, the perfect, the loving and compassionate man, the one who loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself, this was the man who was accused and mocked and condemned by men and ultimately sentenced to death. The very people whom he came to save, Israel, are the ones who cried, crucify him, crucify him. He was beaten with rods. He had the flesh ripped out of his back and a crown of thorns placed upon his head. In weakness, he carried his cross through the crowds of people as they jeered and mocked him. He was led to the place of the skull where he was stripped and his body was placed on the wooden tree. And there they nailed his wrists. Yet what was his heart? His response was, oh, not my will, but your will be done, Father. They took his feet, they nailed those to the cross as well, and then they hoisted up his bloody and tired and wretched body, where even the criminals next to him mocked and jeered at him. Yet his response was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There on that cross, the only Son of God, Jesus Christ, bore our sickness and our sin. He bore the wrath of God. He bore our shame and he bore our guilt. On that cross, Jesus Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the disciples, they thought this was the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, the long-awaited one who would bring restoration, who would rule the nations with a rod of iron. But now he's dead. The thought is there is no hope. He was the Messiah, now there's no hope. But the mystery of God The plan before the foundation of the world was still yet to be revealed. For three days later, the incomparably great power of God raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Indeed, our king is victorious. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has triumphed over all the spiritual powers of darkness. And he has crushed Satan under his feet. That man, Christ Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named. He is the head of the church and all things are under his feet. LUFC, it doesn't stop there. That is the beautiful work of Christ, but it also includes you, Gentiles. The promises of God are for you now. You were once foreigners, disobedient, wrath-deserving and with no hope, but now... You have been chosen by God, made alive with Christ. He has lavished grace upon grace to you by forgiving your sins. Through Christ, he has made you holy and blameless. He has given you a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance to come. He has given you himself in the Holy Spirit. You are now heirs, you are sons, you are rightful citizens, and you are now one body. He came to you Gentiles who were far off and he preached peace to you. So now through one body, Jesus Christ, he has brought Jew and Gentile into one new humanity with access to one father by one Holy Spirit. This is the mystery revealed. By Jesus, we have been made one body of Christ bought by the blood of Christ. This means now through the church, through us, God is making known to the spiritual powers of darkness in the heavenly realms, his wisdom and his power. It also means that we Gentiles now have access to the very throne of God. Indeed, all things in heaven and on earth have felt this powerful work of Jesus Christ. And for that, we end as Paul did in Ephesians 3, We say to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is Ephesians 1 to 3. This is the weight of the gospel. The mystery revealed in Christ Jesus. What a story it is. What a tale that God would offer to us. Salvation and he would do it through offering his one and only son. This is the mystery revealed that we are one, Jew and Gentile, together in one body because of the work of Christ Jesus. We are unified in Christ. Remember the cost. Remember the price of the only Son of God that it took to purchase this oneness. With this foundation, this is what he lays in one to three. We begin to set up Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and therefore we get into our passage this morning I want to narrow in on verses four to six because it continues this theme of what Paul has been getting at. So read along with me in verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. In in three verses... Paul uses the word one seven different t- times in the NIV. He's clearly trying to portray something, and I think it is the accumulation of one to three. He's trying to get this idea of we have been made one, unified in Christ, sharing the same God and Father, sharing the same Lord, Jesus Christ, and sharing the same spirit. One, one, one. You now begin to see why we have titled this servant series, One. One Lord, one church, one Lord, one mission. It's because it's the theme of Ephesians. It is the theme of this passage as well. Paul, uh, if if you look at verse four, Paul says there is one body of Christ. In, In this idea, he's trying to get the picture of our relationship with Christ. He is the head. We are the body. And of what it's like to be one as the body in Christ. So you can think about yourself or you can look at your neighbor right next to you. Uh, They are a person with a head, feet. I see some confirmation. Yes, he does have those, good. Head, feet, chest, arms, fingers, a neck, right? They have all these different body parts, yet they're still classified as one person. So it is with the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. We have many different parts, but we all make up one body. Many different members, still one body. What these different members and parts of the body bring are different perspectives, different gifts, different languages, different styles of worship, different skin color, different political views, but they're still one body. We as Christ are still one body body, despite all of those differences. We are all unique, all distinct, all valued, yet all one as the body of Christ. I I want this reality to to sink in, this idea of oneness. You're going to hear me say it all the time. We are one body, not multiple, one body of Christ which means that every person who has experienced the realities in Ephesians 1 through 3, experienced them. They're in the body. Every person who has experienced those things are in the body of Christ. To sum it up, I would say like this, all those chosen by God, made alive in Christ, who have repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and have received the Holy Spirit, they're in the body of Christ. Which means there are people It is possible for people at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Lidditz. It is possible for those at Victory Church, at the Worship Center, at Ephrata Community Church, at St. James Catholic Church, at Westminster Presbyterian to be in the body of Christ. Any person who attends these locations and has been chosen by God, made alive in Christ, repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone, and has the spirit is in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter where we worship. The body of Christ is not divided by denominations, but we are unified as one in Christ. It's not just those who attend church. It's not just those who say that they're Christian, and it's not even those of any one particular denomination. No, for if those realities in Ephesians 1, has happened, Ephesians 1 to 3 has happened in them, they're a part of the body of Christ. It's also bigger than denominations as well. The body of Christ breaks all of the divides that Satan brings and it breaks all of the groupings that we make here on this earth. It takes Democrat and Republican and unifies them in Christ. It takes black and white and unifies them in Christ. It takes old and young. It takes rich and poor, male and female. It takes citizen and it takes immigrant and brings them together in Christ you get this oneness. It takes, it takes those who are pro masks and against mask and unifies them. It takes those who are vaccinated and unvaccinated and unifies them in Christ. There is a greater unity and it's bought through Christ. It takes those who speak Spanish. It takes those who speak English and Burmese and Arabic. And if those realities has happened to them in Ephesians 1 to 3, they're in the body of Christ. This concept greatly struck me about three years ago when I was on a trip to Myanmar in Southeast Asia. Uh, We were visiting one of our LAFC partners there where they are doing ministry. They're doing ministry through agriculture and farming, an awesome concept. They are teaching farming and agriculture and then they're sharing the gospel through many agricultural passages that are used in scripture. It's a wonderful connection in Myanmar, Southeast Asia. Um, and, and we went there to, to visit, and we headed up to one of their farms that was up country, kind of out of the capital. And through conversation, it had come that there was a man who was living there tending to the farm. His, his full-time job was literally living on the farm. He had a small hut for him and his family, and they were on the farm, and they would tend to it year-round. And as we were talking about this man, it came up that this was an ethnic Burmese man and he had actually become a Christian. He had come to faith in Jesus. And I remember sitting on the farm under this tree next to his hut with a table before us, and he was there, and the Spirit brought this thought to mind. Here's a man I've never met, in a culture I had no idea about, speaking a language I could not communicate, and the thought was this I share more in common with this ethnic Christian Burmese man than I do with my pagan American friends back home. Yes, sir. I had more in oneness with this ethnic Burmese Christian man than my pagan American friends back home. And why? Because we both shared one Lord, we both shared one spirit and we both shared one faith. We were a part of the same body of Christ. At that moment, it was such a joy for me to see God's global plan for the one body of Christ. This is a picture of what heaven's gonna be like. How I long for the day when we'll be in heaven, and there will be all of the Old Testament saints who have had faith. There will be people from every nation and tribe and tongue from all periods of human history. They will stand in one place as one body worshiping one God. And they are gonna cry out. We all together will cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Collectively as one body, we will say praise and glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, strength be to our God forever. That is the unity that Christ has bought. And church, the beautiful thing is we don't even have to wait till heaven to start. Christ has bought it now. He says we are unified in Christ now, Jew and Gentile into one body. So as we speak of this reality, this oneness that is bought in Christ, this oneness of the body of the church, I want you to just take a step back and assess. Think about the American church. Is the American church living as one unified body? Do you believe that we are truly functioning as one? I know various degrees of responses there. There's a lot of factors. But as a whole, I feel like no. As a whole, I feel like no. We might claim it. We might say that we're unified. But are we living unified in Christ. I mean, imagine, based on everything I shared in Ephesians 1 to 3, imagine how much it must pain our Lord and Jesus Christ for all that he suffered to see the way that his body acts and treats one another at school board meetings. Imagine how much it must pain him to see the way the church bickers and argues on social media about politics and COVID and masks. That's not living unified as one body. How much it must pain our Lord Jesus to see the church, his body, divided by skin color. So much to a point where we say, yeah, there's black church and there's white church. To see countless arguments and denominations and broken unity that have come up over secondary issues. Church, I I think we have a a genuine problem in regards to the unity of the church and how we're living with one another. I hope that you would feel that as well. But church, there is hope because we have the answer as well. We have the solution, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now through the spirit he's given us, we have hope, we have been made one, and now by the spirit we can live as one. Christ has paid for it. I believe genuinely that the only way true unity will come in the church is when we lift up Christ Jesus, the unifier. Meaning when we lift him up as the one who brings unity, all of those who are called by the spirit of God will fall under that. They will be drawn to Christ, lift up Christ. All those drawn to Christ will come and they will experience unity. Unity is not gonna come because we try. Unity is not gonna come because we just talk about it. Unity will come when the gospel of Jesus Christ is made first and prominent and the person of Jesus is lifted up. So for all of this, church, do you believe this? Do you believe that we are truly one? Do you believe the great realities of Ephesians 1 to 3 to make us one body? Do you see that this body crosses political beliefs and denominations and languages? Because if you do, if the Spirit has poured that into your heart, we're gonna get into Ephesians 4, verse 1, and it's gonna make so much sense. So read with me, verse 1, Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Church, when we feel the weight of this call, when we are reminded of the one who calls, when we are reminded of the work that he did to bring us one, it stirs us and it moves us to say, I wanna live a life worthy of this calling. I wanna live a life worthy of the greatest of kings, Jesus Christ, Note that Paul says, I urge you. He doesn't say, Hey, I suggest. He doesn't say, It might be a good idea if you try to live this whole oneness thing out. No, he he urges. It is a strong imploring of the church at Ephesus to live in a manner worthy of the calling that they have received in Christ. Church, you have received a high calling from Jesus, and it demands a response. It demands a response. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. So church, as one body, with one Lord and with one spirit, unified by the blood of Jesus, I do the same. I urge you to walk in a manner, a lifestyle, worthy of Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished, worthy of this oneness that he has bought. Note, I don't don't desire you to just agree with the text. I I don't desire for you to say, yes, I agree. That's good. Yes, I should do this. No, 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 no. This is a call. My desire is that it's actually to action. It actually causes you to live a lifestyle like this. Paul is specifically addressing the body of Christ, the oneness in the body of Christ. Before he ever focuses on what does it look like to interact with the world, he goes, how do we interact with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ? So question, just to be thinking through, to make this real as a lifestyle, how are you treating your pastors and your elders? How do you interact with those in your ABF, in your life group? How are you interacting with people of different political beliefs with you in the body of Christ? How do you interact with those of different denominations? How do you interact with the body of Christ around the globe? Many of them are being persecuted right now. How can we interact with them? How do you interact with Christians at your workplace or your family members during holidays who are in Christ? This is real life things, and Paul urged the church to live in a manner worthy of it and I do the same. So if you're tracking, the question then becomes, okay, how? How do we live as one? If we've been unified, what does this look like? We are going to get into this a lot in the upcoming chapters, but he gives us a brief taste of it in verse 2 and in verse 3. So read along with me in verse 2 and 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. How does this life as the body of Christ look? It looks like humility and gentleness. It looks like patience. It looks like bearing one another with love. Church, these are the marks of those who are one body in Christ. These are the marks of those who are filled with the spirit. Are these descriptions marks of your life? Do you approach others with different skin color, poor dress, and different social status in the body of Christ? Do you approach them in humility? When speaking about politics and masks and vaccines with other believers, is it done in a spirit of gentleness? In a spirit of meekness? Do you endure with patience your brothers and sisters in different denominations? Do you bear with your Christian coworkers and bosses in love? Church, this passage today is an urgent call to live as one, to walk as one, unified by the body of Christ. It's not to agree with, it's not to understand, it's called to action because our king has given all for our unity. Our response back is to say, Lord, I wanna live a life worthy of that calling that you have given me. We are gonna see this in the upcoming chapters. We are gonna get into Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and it's gonna be a lot of how do we respond. I pray that you would continuously be stirred and reminded about Ephesians 1 to 3 because this is the foundation. This is the thing that changes us to actually live as one in Christ. He also says in verse three, make every effort to keep the unity. Every effort. This isn't sit back, hope that it happens. It says, no, by the power of the spirit, make every effort to keep or maintain that unity. Note, it's not buying the unity. You didn't earn the unity, Christ has accomplished it. But it says, maintain it, keep it by the power of the Spirit. We have a call from Jesus Christ as one body to maintain and keep the unity of the Spirit by how we interact with one another in the bond of peace. So, my challenge to you this morning is to make every effort to maintain the unity by the power of the Spirit, live a life that is indeed worthy of this calling that we have received. So church, as one church, under one Lord Jesus Christ, may we live on one mission, the mission to live unified with each other for the glory and praise of God of all. Let us pray. Jesus, we just acknowledge thank you Thank you for the sacrifice and price that you paid to make us one. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you now dwell in us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and by your power, we can live out this oneness. We can live out in a manner worthy of this calling. Spirit, please convict us and lead us and push us towards living and caring about how we interact as the body of Christ. Spirit, please do this work amongst us and stir in us and speak to us. Lead us for your glory. Oh, and Lord, I just long for the day of eternity to see you, Father, Son, and Spirit with all of my brothers and sisters to praise your name and lift it high forever. We eagerly long for that day, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.
1: Would you stand with us and join us in this prayer? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee Take my moments and my days Let them flow in ceaseless praise let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee take my
0: I hope that can be your prayer, stirred by the work of Jesus that He has accomplished to bring us as one. The idea of an offering of a life saying, Take, take my life. Everything that I have, everything that I own, everything that I am, let it be used for your glory. To live a life worthy of this calling that we have received. And to make every effort to maintain this unity. We are going to be getting into Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 in the upcoming weeks, as I mentioned. Be reminded in every sermon that you hear in the following weeks, it is built on one to three. It is built on the gospel. Yes, it does call for radical obedience and Christian living, but God gives us the thing that causes us to do that, his spirit, he has bought the work. I wanna end with a, uh, a prayer from Jesus himself in John 17. He said, holy father, protect them by the power of your name the name that you gave me, so that they, future Christians and disciples, so that they may be one as we are one. Church, we have been made one by the blood of Jesus. I urge you to walk as one this week, the next week, and the rest of your lives. We hope to see you next Sunday, and you are dismissed this morning.